0: This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Do you find yourself juggling multiple websites and clinical tools as you care for your patients? NeoCarePal is a resource providing access to multiple clinical calculators in just one place. To learn more, visit NICUconnections.com backslash
1: NeoCarePal. This is The Incubator. Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
0: It's an honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Thank you. You you are a uh, professor of neurology At Washington University in St. Louis School of Medicine. And uh, you are one of the authors of the recently published special report in Epilepsia, a journal that as neonatologists, we don't consult uh, very often, but um, on a very important paper called Treatment of Seizures in the Neonate Guidelines and and Consensus-Based Recommendations, special report from the ILAE Task Force on neonatal seizures So first of all, congratulations on being part of uh, this effort and I guess I wanted to maybe ask you for people who are driving in their car who have maybe not even aware that this paper came out, can you bring us up to speed as to what this paper is and uh what it intends to do, and what are some of the takeaway points of the of the article
0: absolutely, thank you so. The first thing is that this paper is a guideline that's coming from the International League Against Epilepsy, and the paper was uh, spearheaded by two phenomenal uh, epileptologists, Ronit Pressler and Hans Hartman, so lots of credit to them. I am a co-author on this, Uh, but it took a big team of uh, multidisciplinary contributors from all over the world to bring this together. Uh, We've been working on it for... You're you're very humble, but... uh,
1: Linda Devries is also a co-author. Absolutely, Terry Ender is also Absolutely. a co-author. So this I is... feel like there's no uh, there's no ranking. Everybody is pretty. It's a star-studded lineup. <laughs> it's
0: a, it's an important lineup, uh, and and these individuals all put a lot of work into this over the last five or six years. Um this is a really, in my view, as somebody who's really interested in neonatal seizures, this is a really important step forward for the field. This is a very carefully done systematic review. Literature on neonatal seizure treatment uh, and where there was insufficient uh, literature and not enough data to make a recommendation, this was an expert um, Delphi process in order to come up mm-hmm. with recommendations that make sense, um, not just in the very high-resource uh, locations, but also other less-resourced institutions around the world. So I think this is going to set was, a new standard for
1: us. That was very satisfying because so many of these papers on this topic specifically are suffering from the lack of evidence. And sometimes you end up with a question left unanswered and you're like, oh, I wish there was an answer. But here, I think thanks to the design and thanks to the Delphi consensus statements, when evidence was lacking, you still had a recommendation coming from a panel that was actually very well composed. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, you were able to address every single question that you guys had set out to do.
0: Yes, that was the idea. Make this as practical and useful as possible.
1: And so, how many questions? Um, so, so obviously, it's a system. It's a st- systematic review okay. that aims to answer a very specific number of questions, uh, which I think we're all asking ourselves when managing uh, patients neonates with uh, seizures. So, can you can you walk us through a little bit what some of these questions are, and maybe we can talk afterwards about some of the actual recommendations, mm-hmm. so that we can then okay. have a, a proper conversation okay. about those.
0: Absolutely. So. This panel came up with six uh, PICO questions. PICO, patient population, intervention or issue, comparison, and outcome of interest. Mm -hmm. The six were, what should we use as the first line anti-seizure medicine? What should we use when the first doesn't work? So the second line anti-seizure medicine. When should we stop the medication? Is there an effect on seizure burden of therapeutic hypothermia? How does treatment of electrographic or EEG-defined seizures associate with outcome? And when and how should we use pyridoxine or pyridoxal 5-phosphate for infants who have... So those are the six questions Um, as the main question. Then there were a couple of additional ones, one about um, standardized treatment protocols at at an individual institution level, and a second about communication.
1: And so... um based on the based on the literature review um and the consensus um of the of the of the panel what were some of the uh, can you can you walk us through the answers to each one of these questions obviously we're not doing a paper just as each of these questions does have an attached recommendation which we'll go over but also goes over how that recommendation was was uh, how, 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 the, how the group arrived at this recommendation. And that, I think, is a very v- valuable, especially if you're a trainee, understanding how we make recommendations for practice guidelines. But obviously, this may be going beyond the scope of this podcast. But can you walk us through some of these recommendations uh, to these six questions?
0: Sure thing. So first thing is, um, the first question is, what, what is the first line out of the gate medicine that we use for neonatal seizures? Uh, and the answer is phenobarbital. So all of the evidence that we have points to phenobarbital being uh, the most likely to control the seizures as the first-line method. Um, That has been true um, over a lot of time. It's been true um, in practice worldwide, um, and it really hasn't changed. But the truth is, the data that we have say phenobarbital is the first-line for almost every baby with neonatal seizures. The one exception is that there are rare infants where they have a familial and inherited neonatal epilepsy syndrome caused by a specific channelopathy. You can get an idea from family history and clinical features. Um, and for those babies, where you are really sure that that's what they have? There are some instances where you can use a different... For the most part, um, I'm not a fan at this point.
1: I have some questions about that. Absolutely, but, uh, I'll okay. let you. I'll let you. And by the way, before we even move <laughs> on, I think it's important to clarify: we're not talking full term, we're not talking preemies, we're talking neonates.
0: We're talking preemies. We're talking full time term. Any any neonate who is less than uh, forty eight weeks post mental age.
1: Right. I think some will use, some point. will
0: use forty four weeks, but we're getting into things there. But, but I mean, anybody depending on age. Yeah, yeah. because
1: we're talking about uh, first line agents, including patients with HIE. Yes, and I think some people say, "Oh, are they then talking about Fulham? No, we're talking about the whole spectrum, and I think that's also very important. And so yeah. the the second question uh-huh. that was addressed um, in the in the paper <laughs> was, uh, "What about uh, second line agent? <laughs> uh, what is what is the recommendation?"
0: Yeah, so the second line, uh, so the recommendation about second line is that benzoine um, levatoracetam midazolam or lidocaine uh, could be used as second line for most etiology. Um, if the child has a congenital heart disease and there's concern about arrhythmia, then mm-hmm. of those, levotiracetam might be a preferable agent um, above fentanyl or lidocaine. Uh, if the child has a suspected uh, neonatal Epilepsy caused by a channelopathy, than a sodium channel blocker like carbamazepine or phenytoin would be considered. Uh, but we have far fewer data on the first side. But you know That's the that's the answer that we have for that that second question. The third question that we looked at was when to stop the anti-seizure medicine, and um. In practice, there's been wide variation on this. Um, Turned out that given the time frame of when the papers needed to be published, there weren't any um, large studies to include when we did the systematic review. However, during the time that we were doing our work, uh, another paper came out um, in full disclosure. I'm the senior author on that paper. So uh, I I may be a little bit biased, but I think it's important work. And in fact, having that paper come out... um, allowed for the group to have a consensus stealth. Um, and so the recommendation uh, is that following cessation of acute symptomatic seizures, whether they be electrographic or electroclinical, um, without evidence for neonatal epilepsy, anti-seizure medicines can be, dischar- uh, can be discontinued prior to discharge to home, regardless of MRI or EEG. So what does that mean? The so first means that We've decided that we are confident the baby has acute, provoked neonatal seizures and does not mm-hmm. have neonatal not that epilepsy. That the seizures have come under control, um, at least for 24 hours. Many of us will wait a little bit longer than that. Um, and that, you know, overall, the baby is looking like they're getting better, right? Their trajectory is improving. Uh, that the, the anti seizure medicine can, can be stopped, not switched to a different medicine and not tapered down to something something else, but stopped before the baby goes home. Um, and that's based um, in part on this study um, where the first author is Hannah Glass from UCSF. And this is based on a, a study that we did with the neonatal seizure registry.
1: I think that's a huge uh, point because I, I think the, what you're saying is important. <laughs> it's that it, it doesn't mean that it definitely needs to be stopped, but if the parameters are met where it is safe to do so, then we shouldn't have the neonatologist reflex of saying, well, we got to this point, just just don't touch anything and just let them go home and somebody else will deal with this. That is not the right approach. Um,
0: right. Um, the neonatologist approach there is, do we have confidence? Does this family know what to do and who to call mm-hmm. should they have a concern? Um, do they have follow-up with a child neurologist and a pediatrician, right? Um, so we're not letting them go off and nobody's ever going to see this child again. But what the data show... Is that staying on an anti-seizure medicine um, does not prevent the child from developing epilepsy in infancy. Um, in the in the study that we did with the neonatal seizure registry, this was a an observational comparative effectiveness study. It's a lot of statistical gymnastics to get at um, causal inference. And what we found was the babies who developed epilepsy early on, within four months, they all went home on anti-seizure medicine. So that medicine didn't prevent them from developing epilepsy. Um, additionally, many of the babies who did develop epilepsy uh, developed infantile spasm, which is a very specific kind of epilepsy, and it requires specific treatments. And none of those treatments are treatments that we would send a baby home from the NICU. Hmm. So they wouldn't it wouldn't work for that kind of epilepsy. Um, and the median time of onset to epilepsy, you know, unprovoked seizures in the infant period was seven months, uh, which was longer than most infants were maintained on a the medicine. They did go home. So those rationales as far as I want to prevent the onset of epilepsy or want to put off unprovoked seizures didn't hold. And staying on a medicine does not prolong the, the chance of or doesn't change the chance of, of developing epilepsy, doesn't make the epilepsy happen later. Um, and the medicines that we would go home on, most often of phenobarbital, do not treat the most common. Um, next thing is about development, and we yeah, found that was, that was a big right one. there was no difference in neurodevelopmental outcomes if the baby went home on. Our Third thing was to ask parents, "When it what is acceptable to you?" Uh, and you know, we could have seen parents say, "You know, I want to stay on medicine because I want to feel like I'm doing something." Could have seen parents say. I don't want to stay on medicine because it reminds me of this really difficult mm-hmm. time that we had turned out in our data from neonatal seizure registry, that one of the factors that that was associated with better parent well being was going home off. And um, so the preponderance of evidence really suggests that we should be sending children home off of medicine with appropriate follow-up with their pediatrician and child And that's
1: another important point that, um, Part of the consensus-based recommendation included parents. That's huge. I mean, I was when I was reading the paper, I was not expecting to see that. I was expecting a panel of experts, and um, I think. I think this was this was very innovative of you guys to include families in, into the discussion. So I think that's also something that people should know about as they read these recommendations. Was that um, parents were involved in the in the recommendation when it came to uh, obviously the evidence based recommendation is evidence based recommendation is whatever the, the literature says, but these consensus based recommendations are actually uh, including parents, which I think is really cool. and then um in terms of um the do you want to go over quickly over the last few recommendations Sure thing. So that, yeah
0: yeah so we can do that so uh the question about the effect of therapeutic hypothermia on seizure burden um there are several um studies that that document that therapeutic hypothermia may reduce seizure burden in um with hepatosplenic encephalopathy but um, the however None of us would recommend using only cooling to try to, to treat seizures, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we still know that about half of babies who have mild to moderate, sorry, moderate to severe HIE uh, have EEG-confirmed seizures, and we want to treat those just like we would treat any other baby who has managal seizures, first one. So that was the next one. Um, is decreasing seizure burden associated with better seizure outcomes? This PICO, Um This turns out to be a very difficult question to answer with a trial. There are a couple of randomized control trials that have looked at this. They have all been underpowered because it is difficult to recruit to this kind of trial study design. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this went to a Delphi consensus um, and the consensus-based recommendation saying that treating the seizures um, to achieve a lower seizure burden may be associated with improved neurodevelopment, and reduction of subsequent epilepsy. And the last of these big six PICO questions was about the use of pyridoxine or pyridoxal pyridoxine. And the idea here is that there are very rare neonatal onset epilepsies that don't respond to traditional. Uh, and so that a trial of pyridoxine should be attempted for a baby who's presenting um, with clinical or EEG features suggestive of uh, vitamin B6-dependent epilepsy, uh, and who have not responded to anti-seizure medicine, uh, or to babies who have seizures that are unresponsive to to a trial of two usual-dosed anti-seizure medicine and who don't have an identity. Uh, so that was um, a very uh, clear consensus among mm-hmm. um, And those last two recommendations, one is about... Um, developing a standardized treatment pathway for management of neonatal seizures in your local unit. Um, and within the manuscript that you're referring to, there is a proposed treatment pathway that folks can take a look at um, and modify as appropriate for the board. The idea here is that for a high-stakes, uh, low-frequency uh, problem like neonatal seizure, it's an emergency. Um, you don't want to be trying to, to recreate the wheel at 3 a.m., right? Uh, that if everybody knows what medicines are available and why ICU, what can I get quickly? How do I get them to the bedside? Uh, then we can treat efficiently. And we can measure quality and do some quality improvement um, studies if need be uh, and really get the whole team on board to to efficiently and effectively treat babies with manial seizures. Uh, so that's a, that was our strong just, um. Among life that's it. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: This episode is proudly sponsored by Reckitt Mead Johnson. Reckitt Mead Johnson is dedicated to the research and development of nutrition products that help support baby development at every stage, including an extensive and female portfolio for premature and low birth weight infants. To learn more, visit hcp.meadjohnson.com. I think what's very interesting about this is that in the background section of the paper, you mentioned, obviously, and you've mentioned this uh, earlier in our chat about the fact that there's a lot of variability in how we approach seizures. And for some of these recommendations, looking at um, sometimes in in these uh, very nicely done boxes, we have the evidence-based recommendation and we have the consensus-based recommendation. It was actually interesting to see that the strength of the recommendation is always maybe moderate or sometimes even weak. But when it comes to the consensus agreement, it's always moderate to high. I thought there was a, 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 there was truly a consensus among um, the experts that were at the table. And I was honestly w- expecting to see maybe a bit more dissonance when it comes to, since there is so much variability, I was expecting these uh, Delphi consensus to be maybe uh, a potluck of different opinions. And I was not expecting to see such a high consensus. What What do you make of that?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. So your point is that the the grade level assessment of the literature mm-hmm. uh, was not often very high, right? There there right. are certainly holes in our methods and and there's plenty of scope for really good research in having reviewed together in great detail the state of the literature and spoken with one another, you know, over the course of years about what is our clinical experience and practice. Um yeah, I think you're right. It is interesting to note that these experts from across the world really all came to very similar conclusions about the best way, given the current state of the art, the best way to approach treatment with seizures. Um and there was not a lot of disagreement. Uh, it's that's, true. That's and we impressive. were we're honest in the paper about where people had some disagreement based, you know, based on their their own opinions and, and the available evidence. But but for the most part. People really did did agree.
1: I think many people are going to ask you about. Many people are probably wondering about phenobarbital and, and uh, the fact that as a first line agent, it comes back still. Yet as as the first line option, and there's been a lot of research in in the use of uh, anti seizure medications, and yet here we are with phenobarb yet again. What is it about phenobarb that uh, seems to always Put it at the forefront of seizure management in the neonate. Is it something that makes phenobarb truly effective, or is it just a default that really we haven't been able to uh, to beat?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. None of us really love phenobarbital, right? That's um, right. <laughs> and but but that doesn't mean that we can't that we can't or shouldn't use it. And the truth okay. is that the data show that compared to um, most recently compared with levetiracetams. Uh, phenobarbital was far superior. And so it is, it's the best drug that we currently have and that we have evidence. The concerns with phenobarbital really come in with prolonged exposure. And a famous study with children with febrile seizures who were treated with phenobarbital and had measurable differences in IQ. We're not talking about prolonged exposure for most babies now because we have data to say we can, we can use phenobarbital for a few days and then stop it. And what we're, what we're talking about is trying to treat those seizures as an emergency, make them stop, um, and then stop the medicine when they don't need it anymore. And for most babies, right. it's just a few I think really important to highlight the Neolev2 trial. Yeah. C.S. Sharp was the first author. This is a beautifully conducted trial. It was really aimed to see could levetiracetam take that first place slot, and so that it was a randomized controlled trial of levetiracetam versus phenobarbital as first line treatment for EEG confirmed neonatal seizures. They treated very quickly, and what they found was eighty percent of babies had their seizures controlled with phenobarbital, as compared with twenty eight percent of babies with levetiracetam. And so, um, although There can be more side effects with phenobarbital. Those are all manageable in a unique setting. Um, And, you know, if the goal is to control the seizures, pick the medicine that controls the seizure. And so levotracetam is clearly not a first-line treatment. Whether there might come some other drug uh, that will work better than phenobarbital, at the moment, we don't know. There are plenty of anti-seizure medicines on the market, and I'm trying to use other medicines. Um the challenge of course is we have very limited on safety data we don't know what the dosing should be and and frankly we don't have efficacy data. So at this point we have phenobarbital and if we're participating in trials we could try a different study drug um but there we don't have evidence to recommend any other so it's fine.
1: That's very helpful. I my last question for you today obviously has to do with um the use of EEGs. I think uh, there was a paper in Pediatrics that I, I think you also took part of the uh, uh, new classification of neonatal seizures. And it seems that EEG is an, is an integral part of the diagnosis of, of seizures, not really surprisingly. But we have listeners from the podcast that are uh, reaching far and wide. And I think what you find at each institution is always very variable. Some people will have Continuous video EGs that they can run for twenty four hours, sometimes even more. You'll have people that have video EGs that they can run for a very short amount of time, maybe like an hour or two. We'll have people that have amplitude integrated EEGs, and some other units, unfortunately, maybe smaller units that have nothing. And I am wondering if you could uh, just briefly, obviously, because it's a big topic, uh, summarize. What uh, should units try to do based on their use of EGS? For example, if a unit has an amplitude-integrated EEG, is that is that is that satisfactory? Or no, they they must have a prolonged video EEG. Otherwise, they won't be able to manage any neonate with uh, with seizures.
0: So I think it the the answer is it depends. So mm-hmm. the ILAE consensus and guideline are based on conventional EEG confirmed seizures and confirmed treatment uh, treatment response. So that's a gold standard, and I think as right. we as we're looking at effectiveness of drugs in a clinical trial or research setting, having the the conventional EEG is the gold standard. I fully recognize that not everywhere has access to conventional twenty four plus hour EEG monitoring. If you don't have access to that. And it, it's very important to be honest about what you may be missing, right? So a newborn with a seizure is not going to move because of that seizure unless the seizure involves the motor cortex, right? right. So if the, if the seizure involves uh, the occipital lobes or the temporal lobe, the baby's not going to say, ooh, I see this interesting visual. Storm. I have a rising epigastric sensation, right? Uh, so unless the motor cortex is involved, baby's not going to move. So if you're looking at the baby clinically, you're going to miss seizures that don't involve the motor cortex. The other thing is that babies do all kinds of strange movements, and they're not necessarily normal, but they're not always seizures. And so to be, to be as accurate as possible and to expose babies appropriately to anti-seizure medicines, really some sort of EEG is real important. If you're using amplitude-integrated EEG, then the question is, how do you optimize that? So first is, um, if you're able to use two channels, That's going to be better than one channel. Second is, if you have the the raw EEG, even though it's a one or two channel EEG, that's going to be better than just having the the EEG. Third is, can you have backup from conventional EEG if you see a concern on your EEG? And fourth is, do you know how to reading? There's clearly a a user and practice effect. Uh, and so. And so it's really important to get as much training as you can um, and to be retraining over time. Make sure you're as good as possible. If you're using um, full conventional EEG, but only for shorter periods of time, again, recognizing that you don't know what's going on when you don't. So neonatal seizures are best defined by their EEG features. Right. But we understand that there are some some ones there.
1: Well I think I think that's that's uh, very helpful and um I think you you did a, a great job summarizing all this because it's a it's obviously a a dense paper with lots of information lots of recommendations and I think uh something very valuable for um any unit who is dealing with patients with seizures and I think like we've mentioned earlier one of the last recommendations of uh the paper is that a standardized pathway for the management of neonatal seizures should be available in each unit I think that's something that's um, goes without saying. And I think you even through the paper, I think figure three tries to even outline a, a skeleton of what that may look like. I think for all these reasons, I think the paper is extremely valuable. Um, Dr. Shahas, thank you. Thank you so much for making the time to be with us today. And uh, we'll link all this information in the episode page. So uh, if anybody has a question, they can, they can find that.
0: Great. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'll just say one last thing, which is that the ILAE consensus paper and guidelines are all available open access so that anybody around the world has access.
1: That's true. So we can actually even link for for one of the rare times we can actually link to the PDF directly in our, on our website.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you very much for inviting me. And thank you for addressing a really important topic.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Incubator. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of The Incubator and new shows from The Incubator Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nicupodcast at gmail.com, or by visiting our website, www.the dash incubator you can also message the show on instagram or x formerly known as twitter at nicu podcast thanks again for listening and see you next time this podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice if you have any medical concerns please see your primary care practitioner thank you